You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you are Lord of all. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, you created all things. You hold the universe in your hands. And even though, oh God, you are so glorious and so great and so high above, you are also near to us. And Lord, you are here now. Oh God, we ask that your spirit would be with us, oh Lord. Teach us from your word. Illuminate the scriptures for us, oh God, that we may be comforted in your truth. Ground us in your truth. Let us know who you are, O God. We love you, we thank you, we need you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you. Please uh, grab your Bibles, open it up to John 11. We're gonna be dealing with verses one to 44 the story of Jesus' friend, Lazarus. John 11, 1 to 44. The title of today's sermon is Jesus Wept, Having Godly Grief. The reality is living in a fallen world, dealing with people like me, sinners, and people like you, sinners, we are going to face tragedy. We are going to face grief. And really there are two options for us. How will we deal with grief? We can either be like those in the world who deal with grief who have no hope, or we can be like those who know Jesus Christ and grieve like those who do have hope. We can be a people who grieve in a godly way. We can look to the example of Christ right here in the text and we can follow his example. We have such a great privilege here today to look so closely into the heart of Christ. See, all of us will go through grief. All of us will face tragedy and we need the example of Christ. And so today I have for us four ways that Jesus deals with grief. So why don't we take a look? Our first point is this. In the midst of grief, Jesus sees opportunity for for glory and belief, so can I. In the midst of grief, Jesus sees the opportunity for glory and belief, so can I. Let's read verse 1 to 16. It says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, 
The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. We learn a couple of very important facts here uh, in the opening verses of this story. We learn that Jesus loved Lazarus. We learn that he was his friend. We see that in verse 3. Jesus hears about the sickness of his dear, loved friend, and he kind of shrugs it off. Do you see that? He's almost, you could kind of say that maybe he's a bit callous. Uh, Mary and Martha sent word to him that his friend who he loves is ill, and he goes, ah, this doesn't lead to death. Like it's nothing. You say, wow, Jesus is quite callous. Obviously, he's pretty sick. They even sent word to him. Like it's, it's pretty serious. Maybe you could read this and think Jesus is in denial over his friend's sickness. Have you been like this? You get the bad news, and you go, no, this can't be true. This couldn't be happening. No, 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 no. This doesn't lead to death. The doctor's wrong. It's not that bad. Denial, trying to make sense of the terrible news, not wanting to admit it's true. I don't believe that Jesus is responding in either of these ways. I don't think he's callous, and I don't think he's in denial. We see later in the passage that Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to die, or at least has already died, before the news has even reached him. No, Jesus responds like this. Even though he has great love for Lazarus and his sisters, because he sees opportunity. He sees opportunity in the moment of tragedy. He sees past the temporal sadness of his friend's death and he's able to see eternal possibilities. He sees a couple opportunities here. The first one is for glory. Look what it says in verse four. It says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified. In the moment when his dear friend who he loves is ill and going to die, Jesus says, even in this tragedy, God will be glorified. He looks to glorify God, even in grief. That is his main objective. How can God be most glorified through the death of my loved one? How can the most terrible situation bring the most glory to God? How can I look past this temp temporal world and see the infinite glory of God which is displayed for eternity? How can I make sure that not one opportunity to display God's glory is missed? Jesus does this, but let me say this, this isn't easy, and none of us will ever do this as perfectly as our Savior Jesus Christ does it, 
But can't we strive for this? Can't we strive for this selflessness of putting aside what we know is temporal and seeking God's glory, even in tragedy, even in grief? Some right now here today, of course, there's people that are grieving. There's people that are grieving a loss, sickness, so many things in this broken world. And I implore you, look to the blessing and the glory of God. Look to the opportunity of God's glory. Don't waste this opportunity. I'm not saying that we should have no emotion. In fact, the third point today is completely dedicated to godly emotion. So we're going to get there, okay? But emotion is how we express our beliefs. I'm talking about something that is so much more foundational than our emotions. Something that is so much more at the core and the root of who we are, not just as believers, but as created beings. God has created every single one of us for one ultimate purpose, to glorify him. This is why we exist. It is at the very core of who we are that our lives would reflect the glory of God, that everything we do would be to seek God's glory. It is so much deeper than any emotion. It is foundational. It is the bedrock of why we are here. For Jesus, it was the number one thing he wanted to do. It was the first thing that came out of his mouth was this is for the glory of God. We need to seek God's glory, not just when things are good. Not just when we're gathered together as a church and singing praises and listening to the preacher preach or when we're praying at home, but even in the bad times, even in tragedy, even in sickness, even when we're lacking, we can seek to glorify God in all circumstances even when we are grieving. Jesus doesn't stop at just to desire God's glory, but from that glory, he sees another opportunity of causing belief. In the midst of tragedy, he says, this is for God's glory, but it's also so you would believe. Look at this second opportunity. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says this, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus is glad that he was not there to save his friend. Why? Because he knows if he was there, he would have saved him. Jesus is more than able to have saved Lazarus, and he goes, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there, because if I was, he... He would have been saved, and I know that through what I'm about to do next, your faith will be increased, your your belief will be increased. He sees opportunity and tragedy for glory and for belief. Jesus is not saying that he's glad Lazarus is dead, but he knows what he is about to do. He knows that God can use this to cause more people to believe. So what does this look like for us? What does this look like for us? How do we cause glory and belief even in tragedy? 
I love this example of a Christian witness. And it's a great story of Christian witness, and it also is about my favorite place to get a chicken sandwich. So it's a win-win story on, in, in my books, all right? So down in the States, soon coming to Toronto, I'm sure all of you have been looking at it, but Chick-fil-A is coming, all right? Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And um, I'm going to have some later this week, and I'm so excited, okay? They're not even paying me to say this, so... Um, uh, but uh, Chick-fil-A, they're owned by Christians, and they're a Christian organization. They don't even work on Sundays. They want to dedicate that day to the Lord, and so they're closed on Sundays. And I, I just actually read it. Was in, they're in the news all the time, and I, I was reading that despite being closed one day a week on a weekend, they still, an individual store, is making more money than all the other chains, like four other chains put together, right? The Lord honors blessing him, okay? Anyway... So they are called out all the time for being full of bigotry and they are anti-gay and they are filled with hate. This is what everyone says. In fact, just this weekend, yesterday, after I prepared this message, they were in the news again. They're getting kicked out of an airport um, because they have Christian values. You can't eat a chicken sandwich that was prayed over, okay? Maybe you remember three years ago in Orlando, there was a shooting at a gay nightclub, Pulse nightclub, I believe it was called. And a man went in there, deranged individual, and he shot and murdered a whole bunch of people. Many people injured. It's terrible. Tragedy. Tragedy. It was a Saturday night and into Sunday morning. And what chicken sandwich shop opened up their doors on the day they never opened and sent their employees in and fed all the victims and the first responders for free? Chick-fil-A. That's great. What a great story of Christian witness. The ones who are apparently who hate these group of people, but are the ones who are there to show hospitality and love. Tragedy, opportunity. Opportunity to show the glory of God and to cause belief. Do we have to agree with everything those individuals that go to that particular nightclub Believe in to love them? No. No. But when there's tragedy, what an opportunity for us to show Christian hospitality. What an opportunity for us to show Christian charity and love and to hope for God's glory and for belief. There is opportunity in every tragedy for God's glory. There is opportunity for belief. Jesus saw it. And so can I. And so can I. In the midst of grief, Jesus sees these opportunities. He longs for these opportunities, these moving away from the temporal and looking to the eternal. And also in the midst of grief, Jesus speaks the truth. Jesus speaks the truth, so can I. Let's continue to read in the text. Verse 17 to 27 says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. We see right here that uh, the sisters, Martha and Mary, are uh, pretty different. Uh, maybe you have a sibling and you go, yes, I'm very different than them. When Jesus is coming, Martha rushes out to Jesus while Mary stays behind. Martha says to Jesus, a very true statement. She says, if you, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. We know that's true because earlier we just saw that, that Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there, right? He knew that if he was there, he would have saved Lazarus, but she says this true thing and then she continues on and says another true thing. She goes, I know that whatever you ask of God, he gives you. Martha is grieving the loss of her brother, and although she is hurting, she is able to at least hold on to some remnant of truth about who Jesus is. It might be a bit fuzzy to her through the tears, but she's clinging on to truth about who Jesus Christ is. She knows that Jesus is powerful. She, she knows that Jesus could have saved. She she knows that Jesus has incredible access to the Father. She knows that they are one. How would have you expected Jesus to respond to Martha? How would you respond to Martha? Someone coming out who just lost their brother, you know, making these assertions about God. I think sometimes our response is great, but sometimes we respond to Martha like, you know, Martha, I'm so sorry if only Jesus was here. This wasn't supposed to happen. Where is God? I don't know, but this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Really what we say in that moment, when, when we say it like that, we're saying that either Jesus is able to save but unwilling, or we're saying that he is unable to save. We depart from the truth of who Jesus is and we attempt to comfort Martha or that person with a lie. It might be momentary, make me feel good for two seconds, but it's not lasting. It doesn't actually give any answers because what we're saying is the future is not in God's hand, that God does not have a plan, that God couldn't have changed this. Here's Jesus' response. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. He is saying that he has control over life and death, that he is sovereign, that he is the one who raises the dead to life, that there is no life apart from him, that there is no resurrection apart from him. He speaks the truth to Martha because in the truth there is freedom. In the truth there is life. In the truth there is joy, lasting joy. 
that God is in the control of every situation and he has a plan. And we might not understand it, but that he can use the most terrible events that cause so much grief for his glory. About a year and a half ago, I got a message from my brother-in-law asking to pray for a family um, of uh, Pastor Mario. He's a worship pastor at a church in London, Ontario. I got this message, uh, would you pray for this family, urgent prayer request. Of course, we were praying for them. And what had happened was, um, Pastor Mario and his wife were hosting a little party at their house. They had some friends over and all the kids are running around and uh, their three and a half year old, Jace, um, uh, got out the back sliding door, um, fell into the pool and drowned. And um, I remember getting that news and praying for them and my, my son was only, it's just about the same age at the time and just like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Now, what do you say to someone who's going through that? What do you say to someone who's just been dealt the death of their young child, or anyone, but in this case, his young child? Mario and his wife were firm in their faith. He told me, I I called him up this week, I got his number, and I, I asked him if he would be okay with me sharing his story, and he was very happy to share it with me and for me to share it with you because he, he knows that God's glory can be proclaimed in his story. He said that he was saved when he was eight and um, since then he's been growing in the Lord, just like all of us should be, growing in the truth of the Lord since we have saved. He told me that the truth he knew about Jesus Christ is what grounded them. He said to me very wise words. He said, in the moment of tragedy, it's not the time to start figuring out your theology. It's not the time to start figuring out what you believe. You need to know the truth and have it as your foundational bedrock belief. He said to me, the truth in my mind settled my heart. His faith was a great encouragement to me. It was such a blessing to speak with him on the phone. He said, it's so dangerous to not know the truth. He said that that swimming pool, they still live in the same house. He said that swimming pool has become a place where he he knows he just, he goes sometimes and he can ask questions to God and pray. And he said, the Lord is always there and kind enough to meet with him and answer his questions. He said, the Lord also warned him that the enemy lies in wait. The enemy lies in wait because so often our questions and our concerns that we should bring to the Lord can can take an, an evil turn. And instead of just seeking the Lord and for his glory and maybe not fully understanding what's going on but praising him anyway, we start to ask questions like, God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why me? Why not someone else? You start to blame God and then you start to blame yourself. Lord, where was I? Why was I not there? You start to blame your spouse. Why was she not there holding his hand? How did this this happen? And when we don't know the truth that Jesus Christ is the resurrection 
and the life, we begin a downward spiral into despair. We start blaming God, ourselves, those we love. We don't focus on that God is in control, even in the midst of grief, even through tragedy. I was so thankful for Mario and his family that they knew the truth. That when tragedy came, he was able to enjoy the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He said this to me. This is amazing. He said, you know, I have my dark days since then and I, and I need to constantly go back to who Jesus is and, and be reminded and, and, and pray. He said, though, the days following, right after we lost Jace, he said they were... We were in so much despair, but we just sat on the floor in our house and we experienced a closeness to the Holy Spirit that we've never experienced before. He said he was there to comfort us with truth. He said, and as much as we never want to go back to those days, we also want to go back to those days because there was just such a presence of God that was so real. And this is what's available to the believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is known as the Comforter, Do you know how we got the word of God? The Holy Spirit working through the prophets and the apostles wrote the word of God over thousands of years so that we today can have the truth. And the comforter, the Holy Spirit, illuminates the word of God to us, illuminates the truth to us so that we can be comforted. You will find comfort in the word of God through his spirit. You see, so much of us, we want to deal with moments like that and just pour grace and love around it, but we need truth as well. Because truth and grace are not exclusive to one another. In fact, they go together. You can't have one without the other. When we speak the truth of the gospel, we speak a gospel of grace. We cannot be gracious without delivering the truth and and you cannot be truthful without being grace-filled. Truth and grace, hand in hand. Because if you don't know the truth before you go into a season of grief, grief will consume you. We can learn how to deliver this truth in grace in hard situations. We can learn how to give it, but we also need to learn how to receive it. That when we're going through tragedy, when we are grieving, that we would long for and seek for truth to be spoken into our lives. Allow the truth to be your comfort in grief. It's the only thing we have to stand on, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Is this not the gospel that we believe that saved us? It is the same gospel that will carry you through this life. I love how Jesus asks this very pointed and concise question uh, to Martha. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? If you believe this, you will know that life and peace are not just some far-off abstract ideas, but they are here and they are now. Our problem of pain and grief has a real solution. 
that Jesus is life. We should desire to speak the truth in grief and be spoken to in that way as well. Jesus speaks the truth, so can I. I must know the truth. And in the midst of grief, we saw that Jesus looks for opportunity of glory and belief. He, he speaks the truth. And in the midst of grief, Jesus feels emotion. So can I. So can I. Do you know emotion is a God-given part of who you are? That it's okay to cry? In fact, the sermon title today, Jesus wept. That your Savior cries and that we can cry. If you hear from the pulpit today, license to cry, all right? It's okay to go through a box of Kleenex sometimes. Let's keep reading. Verse 28 uh, to 37 says this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her uh, in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? We saw the differences between Mary and Martha, um, but we also see, see the similarities between these sisters. And just like you don't want to admit how similar you are to your siblings, Mary and Martha had some similarities. When she did end up coming to Jesus, she said the same opening line, didn't she? She said, Jesus, if, if you were here, my brother would have not died. After that, Martha continued with her truth, but Mary just continued to cry after she said that. Mary comes with a bunch of people weeping and mourning with her. Here's a question. Does Mary love Jesus less? No. I don't, I don't think so at all. Does Mary know less about who Jesus is? No, I don't think that's, that's true at all. They probably have a very similar understanding of who Jesus is, probably spent the same amount of time with Jesus, were under the same teaching, probably very similar in their sisters. In fact, you could probably argue that Mary knew more than Martha because Jesus didn't feel the need to explain it to her. Instead, he wept with her. Now I've, I've chosen verse uh, 1135 as the title of the sermon because I think in these two words, looking closely and carefully at them, it sums up and explains so much about the heart of our Savior. 
Jesus wept, and it was completely and utterly rooted in truth. His emotions came from truth. Jesus' weeping shows us his heart and love for his people. That even though he understands completely the future, even though he understands completely what he's about to do next, he, he understands the situation better than anybody. Right? He, he created the world. He knows what's going to happen in the future with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the disciples and all those who believe will be in eternity with him forever in paradise. I mean, this is just such a momentary little thing. He knows this, but he's sovereign. Yet at the same time, he is so close and near to Mary that he weeps in her pain. Our momentary affliction matters to Jesus. Isn't that comforting? He knows that all things will be okay one day, yet he weeps with you. He sees your broken heart and he's deeply moved in his spirit, not because he doesn't know that he will fix it and one day he will wipe away every tear, but because he is troubled when those who he loves are hurting. I can see this as a mother and a father, maybe of a teenage daughter, sitting at home one day, and their teenage, maybe 16-year-old daughter comes running through the door, just bawling and in tears and, and sobbing and crying because the boy at school who she had a crush on broke her heart. And in that moment, the father's kind of happy because he never liked that guy anyway, Right? And he knows that this isn't the end of her relationships in her life. And he knows that one day he's going to help her find a good, godly, Christian young man who will love her. That's his plan. He knows that. But she comes in, and to her, in that moment, this is just consuming. And she might even know the truth, but it's so hard to look past it in that moment. Does he just say... You'll be fine. No, he, he hugs her and he cries with her. I'm so sorry you're going through this. He loves her, he shows the emotion, and he speaks truth. And that is what Jesus does with us. We can know the truth and still feel the current pain. Jesus does, and so can I. See, there's nothing noble, and there's nothing intellectually impressive, and there's nothing loving about just crushing people with truth. You see, you need to love the person and give them the truth. You weep with the person and show them who Jesus is. These things don't come separately. Earlier in the service, I asked you to write someone's name down who you would be praying for and that we as a church will pray for for salvation. If you wrote someone's name down, the reality is, is that person who does not know Christ is in the greatest tragedy that they will ever be in. That apart from Christ, they will be separated from the love of God for eternity. Is there a bigger tragedy? Is there a bigger crisis? Is there anything else that should cause us more grief? 
Do you weep for that person? You should love that person. Show them the truth. Speak the truth with godly emotion. I don't think that there's any coincidence here, but you see Jesus throughout this chapter speaking truth of who he is and what will happen and who he is and what will happen and he is the resurrection and the life and do you believe this and this is what will happen and then there is this one moment of Jesus wept. The emotion comes from the truth, but he doesn't stay there for very long. He weeps, but he doesn't allow emotion to control him. His emotion is based in truth. His truth is not based in emotion. And that must be the same for us as well. We must be rooted in this truth and allow our emotion to come from that and continue to move on from that. The truth we have is not just some hypothetical fairy tale that makes us feel good and helps us sleep at night. It is real, life-giving, resurrecting power that changes hearts and allows life even after death. Therefore, allow emotion to flow from truth. Allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us in our distress as we move on in the hope of the gospel. Nothing wrong with crying. Nothing wrong with crying. Your Savior does it, and so can we. We see in the midst of grief that Jesus saw the opportunity for the glory of God and for the belief of others. We saw that he spoke the truth, and we saw that he had godly emotion. And in the midst of grief, Jesus works through prayer. So can I. Jesus works through prayer. So can I. Let's read 38 to 44. Says this. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Throughout this whole story, Jesus is leading everyone, the author of this story is leading us to this moment where Jesus would showcase his power and advert all attention to himself. That he would prove that he is the resurrection and the life. Not just in some figurative sense, but in a real sense. He actually is the resurrection and the life. He raises dead people to life. And from his emotion, he goes to prayer to the Father. See, this miracle that Jesus performed here was not just for those who were standing there witnessing it, but is for us as well. 
that we would believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that we would believe that he is the truth. So here's the truth, right? If we were to put ourselves into the shoes or the sandals of someone in this story, okay, who would we be? We're Lazarus. We're, we're all Lazarus. We're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Because of the choices we have made, because of the sins we have committed against a holy God, we are separated from him. We are dead, and dead people don't breathe. Dead people don't talk. And Jesus calls us from our tombs and gives us life. Jesus calls you by name and gives you life. In verse 44, we see that after Jesus called to Lazarus, it says this, what a powerful sentence. It says, the man who had died came out. The man who had died came out. You see, in the context of John, what's happening here is in John 11 here, this is leading right up to the Passover. In just a couple of days, um, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's going to ride on a donkey and they're going to put palm branches down in front of him and say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then he's going to go into an upper room for the first communion. He's going to teach his disciples. And there's chapter after chapter here in John of the upper room discourse of him explaining what's going to happen to his disciples. And then Judas Iscariot is going to betray Jesus Christ they're going to go to the garden. The guards are going to seek them. Peter's going to slice the ear off one of the guards. You remember that? Jesus is arrested. He's brought before Pontius Pilate. He's brought before the council. He's, he's condemned. They beat him. They whip him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He carries his cross. They nail him to it, and he is crucified. And he takes the wrath of God upon himself for the sins of us and the sins of the world. He cries out, it is finished, as he successfully completes his mission of salvation. And those who believe in him will be saved. They take his body, they put it in the tomb, and three days later, Jesus, the man who had died, came out. You see, Jesus is prepping his disciples for what will come. That he is the one who gives life, and he is life. This is our hope. And this is why in grief, we must ultimately move past the tears and seek to bless the name of God. And we can, with godly hope, say with the scriptures, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus moves from tears to prayer. So can I. So can I. We can do this too. I'm not saying we can resurrect bodies from the dead. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in the midst of grief, we worship the one who can. And we pray to him. We pray to him. We must know the truth. We must know the scripture. It's so helpful to know the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us in our pain. I wrote a little prayer and I wonder if some people here are grieving today. And I want to read this prayer over us. Um, and hopefully this is helpful in how we can deal with prayer. How we can come to the Lord in prayer. 
in the midst of grief. I wrote this. Lord, this hurts. God, would you use me during this time to bless your name? God, would you use this hard and this dark situation to showcase your glory? God, I don't understand why this happened. But what I do understand is that you understand. And for me, that's enough. Let my emotion be guided by your truth. Allow me to look forward to the hope that I have in you and comfort me now in your Holy Spirit. Maybe that's a prayer you need to pray. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I encourage you, I implore you, know the truth. Know it deep down in your heart. Look forward and say, even if this were to happen to me, I will praise your name. Pray that prayer. Lord, help me praise you even in the darkest of times. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life, and you want to know what it is like to, even in the midst of grief, have joy, even in the midst of grief, have comfort, believe in him now. Believe in Jesus Christ as your savior that he died, that he went to the pit of despair so that you don't have to. That you can be reconciled to the Father and know a relationship with him. That you can be saved for eternity and though you die, you will live. You can have this hope as well. We will either be people who grieve like the world or we will be people that grieve like those who have hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, oh God, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy towards us, Lord. Lord, I thank you that even though, God, you are the creator of all things, even though you hold the universe in your hands, oh God, you are so near to the brokenhearted. You weep with us, Lord. Oh God, help us be rooted in the truth. Help us be foundationally so deep in our purpose, O oh God, that we would find glory even in tragedy. Lord, we need this, O oh God. We are weak. We need your help. So we ask the Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, would you please guide us into all truth? Would you illuminate scripture for us to understand, O oh God, that we may glorify you in every season? And we ask this, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.